Hey everybody, welcome to Artifice episode, wait for it, 75. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. What a cool number. Um, you know, I would say I can't believe that it's here, but I, but it, you know, in fact, I can because when I started this project, I didn't intend to stop any time before episode 75. And in fact, I fully intend to keep going until there are many hundreds of episodes. Um, or just until, you know, I don't know. I never plan to stop. I'm never stopping. Um, but nevertheless, it feels amazing to get to episode 75. Um, you know, every single one of these episodes, let me just, let me just tell you guys, I don't know that I've ever talked about this before, but there, there is so much that goes into each one of these episodes. The first thing that happens is I spend a lot of time trying to reach people and set up interviews. So, you know, if it's someone like today's guest, Kristen Bromley, who I'm friends with and I talk to fairly regularly, then it's pretty easy. But sometimes I'm trying to reach someone who I have no idea how to get a hold of them. Or maybe sometimes I think to myself like, wow, I'd really like to interview a glass blower. And then I spend a ton of time trying to find a glass blower because I don't know any glass, bl glass blower. That's hard to say. Um, and then after I've scheduled the interview, of course, we do the interview, which in real time takes, you know, sometimes like two hours. And then um, I edit the interview. Actually, I re-listen to the interview and take notes um, for the recaps that I send to my mailing list only. So if you're listening to this and you're not on the mailing list, you don't get those. And it might be a reason why, I don't know, you'd like to join the mailing list. Um, because at the end of every month, I send a really beautiful and thoughtful recap of some of the amazing conversations that we've had. And I sometimes get like pretty deep and philosophical on there. Um, anyway, so I re-listen to the episode and take notes, and then I edit the episode, I record the intro, I upload it to SoundCloud and schedule all the metadata, and I um, take the photo of the guest and put a beautiful pink overlay on it so that you see their photo in Artifice Pink, and then I post about it. Oh my gosh, so many steps. So thinking that there are 75 episodes fills me with a certain type of pride. And also, man, what an incredible joy to have been able to have these in-depth, intimate conversations with 75 artists. It's crazy. It's such a privilege. And I hope that you guys like it too. Um, okay, business things. So I've been saying it, I'm going to keep saying it, um, but I want to start a new segment where I read listener thoughts. So if you have had a thought about any of the episodes of this podcast, as you're listening, you're like, you know what? I really love what Blake Castleman had to say in his interview, and I have a thought that I'd like to add. Or when Emily was interviewing Madison Cancan, there were a couple of things that I had that I felt like, hmm, I kind of agree with what they're saying, but I have a different experience or, you know, whatever. Or if it's maybe not specifically to do with a conversation I had with a specific guest, but maybe you want to share something like in the artifice conversation about what your creative process is like or what you struggle with or what you wonder about artists. Um, 
send me a message in any of the places. You can reach me through directly through my website, which is emvocals.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. Um, reach out and give me a little blurb and then tell me um, how you want me to shout you out. And I'll do that. And um, I will start such a segment when I have enough uh, messages coming in that I can kind of keep that going. Um, I think that's it. So um, I guess now I will tell you about today's amazing guest, my good friend, Kristen Bromley. I love so much being able to interview someone that I already know. And I'm such a fan of Kristen's. Um, we worked together a little bit at BYU and seeing her there was always such an incredible bright spot on my day and on my week. And um, I don't know. I just find Kristen really inspiring. I love the way she thinks about music and art and individuality. Um, and I'll, I'll give you like a little, you guys, I don't know that it's a spoiler, but in this episode, Kristen and I have a really great conversation about practicing. Um, so, you know, no matter what your medium is, if you have sometimes a difficult time motivating yourself or, you know, if you're not sure what your practice philosophy is and you maybe want some ideas, um, listen to this episode because uh, Kristen and I get get a, get on one about it a little bit. Okay, let me tell you about my friend Kristen. Dr. Kristen Bromley is a gifted and sought-after instructor, as well as a loved performer and composer. In addition to teaching guitar and jazz studies courses and ensembles at Brigham Young University and directing the BYU Jazz Legacy Band, Dr. Bromley works as a professional arranging, composing, performing, and recording musician, and she is the owner and primary featured artist of Kristen Bromley, Kristen R. Bromley Music, LLC. Um, okay, I'm going to skim over some of this stuff. Uh, Kristen has a Doctor of Music Arts degree in music education from Boston University, a Master of Music degree in Jazz Studies from Indiana University's Jacobs School of Music, and a Bachelor's degree in Jazz Studies with an additional BA in Family History and Genealogy from Brigham Young University. Okay, then there are there's a whole paragraph about all of the stuff that Kristen has done in ter- in a in including writing a bunch of guitar method books. Have I mentioned she's a guitar player? Um, and recording albums that she's been on, where she's toured, what festivals she's played, um, what her research is about. Um, actually, I'm going to read this paragraph. As a scholar, Dr. Bromley has focused much of her research on discovering ways to create more interactive and person-centered educational environments wherein individuals experience whole-person learning outcomes as they grow through cognitive, emotional, and experiential means, develop greater self-discipline, and become more fully functioning persons. Yes. Do you see why I like Kristen? She is so cool. Um, okay. That's it. Um, listen to this episode. Help me celebrate episode 75 by sending me a little note about any thoughts you have about any specific episodes or just themes. Um, so I can shout you out on the podcast and Oh, one other tiny thing for the entire month of September. And I guess like, you know, maybe into October, you know, cause you guys are going to be hearing this late. I won't tell. Um, if you buy an artifice mug from my website, emvocals.com. And if you haven't seen them, oh my gosh, 
They're so cute. They are 17 ounces, so they're like tall, skinny, and they have um, my original artifice print on them, which is like, you'll see it in the logo. It's like all the little art objects. Um, anyway, if you get a mug in like basically just this fall, uh, September and October, I will throw in a free tea sampler and a free sheet of artifice stickers. And my thought is like, give it as a gift to a teacher that you know. We all know teachers love mugs. We know teachers want to drink tea and coffee. And we know that teachers are really tired and having a hard time this semester. So um, so if you want to just give a little, a little joyful little gift to a teacher you love, consider the Artifice mug. Um, it's, a, it's a super unique, super happy mug. And I will send my my little tea sampler, um, they're, they're Tazo brand teas, um, and some artifice stickers. So, okay, that's it. That's all the things. Get a mug, send me a little blurb, listen to episode 75, fall in love with Kristen. She's the best. Okay. I'm going to stop talking. Here comes Kristen Bromley. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists, and I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. This episode of Artifice is brought to you by A.M. Salt. Back in episode nine, I interviewed private chef Aubrey Nicoli, and I'm so excited to dedicate this month's ad spot to her latest creation. Andrew and I have been using Aubrey's all-purpose season salt for about a month, and we are crazy about it. We put it on everything, eggs at breakfast time, sandwiches, pasta, and our favorite, the homemade pizzas we're making with our new backyard pizza oven. You can even mix it with brown sugar to make an amazing barbecue rub. To welcome this gorgeous salt into your spice cabinet, head to Instagram at am.nicoli.salt. That's am.nicoli.salt. And don't forget to mention Artifice for a discount when you direct message Aubrey to make your purchase. I like it so much when I get to talk to someone that I have already met before, you know? If I'm meeting someone for the first time, sometimes it's like, I'm nervous, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I read like over the questions and I was like, wow, this could go a lot of places. So yeah, I, it's I just guess a, we're jazz musicians as well as pop and everything creativity. else. So we yeah. can just like absolutely improv. And these are dynamic mics, so you want it really close. So okay. you know how to operate a boom, I think. So you can get it wherever you want. You can sure. move it as you move yourself. Um, and then a couple of weeks ago, I was doing an interview and it like stopped recording in the middle. And I think, I think I know, I think I had a bad cable and I replaced it, but you know how these things are. Sure. You're like, I'm pretty sure it's that cable, but you don't <laughs> know. So I might get up occasionally and just like check to make sure it's still recording. Totally fine. Um, well, I've actually referenced you a couple of times on this podcast. Oh, wow. Because I always think about this one thing that you said to me. It was at the Gen Conference in Nevada, I think. And you said something about, like, you can't let people take away your divergent thinking. Mm. And I think about that all the time. So, like, your your voice is, like, in my brain sometimes when I think, like, 
when I'm think when I'm having those kinds of thoughts of like other people are doing this stuff, like is that what I'm supposed to do? Or like, you know. Anyway, so thanks for that. Well, I guess I'll just you're welcome. <laughs> I guess I'll just say that at the beginning. Um, do you want to just like dig in? Sure, let's dig in. Okay, and we can t- seriously talk about anything. It's just a conversation. It's awesome. like we're at lunch, but we're, we're just recording. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so, like anything you want to talk about, you can, we can talk about. Um, so, I usually start with people though by asking what you were like as a creative child. <laughs> like what? A creative what were you- child. Yeah, and you can talk about like the stuff you were doing, or you can just talk about like how adults talk to you, or how you know what you know about what you were like as a kid what i know i uh you know it's funny every time i see my nieces and nephews i think was i like that yeah um i think as a child you know i i grew up in wyoming out in the middle of the country so in ranch country and there were very few kids around and i was the oldest uh sibling you just you have one brother? I, I have know you have two younger brothers. Okay. I actually have four older half brothers, but um, it was more like a cousin relationship. Sure, we'd see them once in a while, kind of thing. And um, I see them a lot more as an adult because cool. we we live. Some of us live close. So um, yeah, so I found myself. I think some of my creativity was the world, the imagine, the imaginative world that I created for myself totally. when I was really young. And I, I created uh, imaginary friends, imaginary adventures. And so I turned our, essentially the landscape of your yeah. picture here, which the has cactus. like cactus. Yeah. We had not big cactus from Arizona, but small little cactus yeah. uh, fields of it that were BLM land. And I would just go out and create some imaginative world. And that was probably, I look back on creativity and I think that was actually pretty creative to yeah. create people and have fake relationships, though they seemed, I mean, they, I knew that they weren't real, yeah. but that they were real and that was a way I entertained myself and I could take anything and turn it into not boredom, but something. Yeah. And I find that that was a good start to creativity. But you know, I, I, um, I did a lot of things like like any kid. We had art at school, and I'm not sure that my artwork projects were anything yeah. special. Um, I started playing piano first, and because uh, we had one from yeah. my, that we inherited from my grandma, and um, I used to improvise a little bit on it, and even wrote some songs that I turned into the 4-H. Cute. Hey, I was in 4-H hey, too. See, I love yeah. that. So, and I won ribbons for it, but like anybody knew what my little creation was. I right? love that. So. Well, a lot of my guests talk about their first experiences with creativity being like imagination, just like playing pretend. And I really like that answer. Like, like the people who say it will kind of, sometimes they'll kind of be like, well, I don't know if this is really creative, but I was doing a lot of pretend and it's my favorite thing because if, if there's one thing I'm like on one about on this podcast, (laughs) it's that like creativity is not like owned by the arts, you know, like you can be super creative outside of like typical arts mediums and you can also be, you know, I think we see this a lot when we're trying to like rehabilitate students who've been with non-creative teachers but we see people who are like in the arts and not creative um so i i'm i'm really interested in creativity more than anything and maybe specifically the ways in which like those of us who become professional creatives like 
feel about art? Like, how do we see it? What does it mean? Um, so, you know, when you said before, like you were taking art as a little kid, like just in school and like, you know, maybe my, my projects aren't that good. I imagine though, like you feel a way about making a thing. Did you, do you remember any of that? Like, well, um, we go through save boxes sometimes and you find this old thing. I think seeing it through my eyes now, especially my early, like my early music stuff, my early compositions or my early improvisations, or even some of those early art projects. I don't care what somebody else may have looked at it, but when I look at that now, I think at the time there was probably a real insecurity about what I was doing, mm-hmm. just as sometimes there is now when I have a new project mm-hmm. and I'm always I always have to get to the other side of it because when I'm doing it, there's always some element of insecurity about it. Totally. And so, but I think when I look back now with my experienced eyes, I think, wow, way to go, young Kristen. Like, keep going. You've got, just keep being you. Just keep trying. And I see a lot of creativity, which is how I feel when I see, like, my students or my nieces and nephews. Like, I can see myself, the young Kristen, Mm -hmm. the insecure little Mm -hmm. girl through that eyes. Yeah. But at the time, I probably was very insecure about a lot of what I was doing. Yeah. I feel the same way, like... You know, and and I think it's part of why I'm obsessed with these subjects because I think, how can we do better as adults to like not hurt the creativity mm-hmm. of children? Um, how can we take better care of ourselves and kind of like think about, you know, keeping our own creativity like sacred and being like gentle with it? But yeah, I mean, I feel the same way when I work with my tiny, tiny students. And I've had some opportunities to teach really little kids, which have you too? Yeah. Yeah. Normally they're older, but like I've occasionally taught like pretty little kids and I will get like moved to tears in their lessons, you know, (laughs) because of like just the sheer like wonder of like seeing a little person be like such an individual and see that creativity and see that person kind of make something that like only they can can make yes um and so I relate also to like looking back at stuff that I made as a kid and thinking like hey like cool you know yeah I don't know do you have anything else to say about it like any other thoughts about how we can or like maybe can you say like what you were insecure about you know I'm sure that the insecurity um came from the what the perspective of others would be yeah and what it was supposed to be Mm -hmm. I put that in quotes because as an adult now and as a teacher um the only really little kids that I've worked with on music or even done art projects with are my nieces and nephews who are all five and under right or or the ones that are five and under right now my older half brothers their kids are are teenage and up now but the uh when I work with them and we're, we're doing a fun art project or something together, I can see creative creativity coming out of each one Yeah, and it's different. Yeah. And I just delight in what they're doing. Um, but I remember being in school or in places where it was expected to be something a certain way. Yeah. And I had one student that I worked with one time who was having really, he had a lot of trouble with school and, and so his mom um, was homeschooling a big piece of it. And so he was young and he was taking guitar lessons from me and it was really hard to get him to actually play a song. Yeah. 
But if I would say, okay, imagine you're in the middle of a city street yeah, and there's cars honking and there's a stoplight and sort of give him a story and then have him play, he would creatively do something on the instrument that was very fulfilling to himself. Yeah. And I thought, and there's nothing wrong with that, I don't totally. think. I fully agree. So as a teacher... Um, I've tried to not create, like I, I, I try not to tell my students for, in improvisation, you and I do a lot of, have taught and have done a lot of improv. I try and never use the word wrong notes. Yeah. Um, I try and teach it as a language where we might have a better way of phrasing something or we might have a better within this context and in another right. context not. Because I don't want to, I don't want to create a framework of no, that's wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, if somebody had told Einstein no, this theory is wrong. Yeah. We wouldn't know yeah. a lot of what we know about the world. So I try and do it as, is okay, this is great. Is there something better we can do? Yeah. But never phrase it as the no. And always encourage that. Yeah. Or like outline a paradigm. I mean, because, okay, I think we're talking about some, like what's underneath what we're talking about is like, you know, how do we kind of keep like this open-ended creativity but also teach people how to like participate in art in a, in a structure. Yeah, right. Where's some boundaries for this particular setting? Or yeah, something? and I think as teachers, like at some point, it is our responsibility to be like, okay, well, if you want to participate in these kinds of settings, or you want to, you know, audition, if you want to go to grad school, if you want to, you know, whatever, you you need to be able to follow these rules. But being really careful to kind of present it as like this is one paradigm, like these this is a framework and like if you want to enter this conversation this is how you can do it but it's not because it's like right um and I wish teachers would do that with little kids like I think I've told this story on the podcast before but it's maybe been a long time but I have a niece who's like six and she is such a spitfire I just I'm such a fan of hers but um last Christmas we were coloring together and uh, or drawing, I guess we were drawing with crayons. So I'm calling it coloring, but we, there wasn't a coloring book. So I asked her like, what do you want me to draw? And she asked for like a, a lion and a giraffe. So I started drawing the giraffe in like pink and purple as I would do yeah. <laughs> being the pinky that I am. And Katie, my niece was like, Emily, I think you, you really should be using the yellow and the brown for this. And I was like, but I want to draw it pink and purple, like pink with purple spots. And she was like, but really like you should be using the yellow and the brown. And so I was like, okay, well it's for you. So like, all right. So I started using the yellow and the brown and she reached across the table and like put her little hand on my hand <laughs> and then looked at me right in the eye. And she was like, do you see how that's getting a little better? <laughs> Which was so funny. I told her mom about it and she was like, oh, they try to teach them to like use the, um, the like right colors. Yeah. And like, I fully get that. But I wish the teacher would just say like, but if you want to like, like this is kind of what, a real giraffe looks like, but like, if you want to draw a pretend giraffe, like that's also fine. Yeah. I would love that. That actually, the student I mentioned, um, that I had, I created these scenes and then he would improvise his music Yeah, while we would, I, we would try and learn new chords and things, but, but that's really where he came alive. He also got mad at me and threw a pick at me one day, which is a <laughs> funny thing of kids, <laughs> students, but, um, 
I know one of the things that he'd expressed to me that he'd had trouble with at school is he was always told he had to color in the lines and he wanted to color outside of the lines. He wanted his picture to go outside of the lines. And, um, I remember when I was, I had an improv class when I was in high school and we would always get into these debates with improvisation in that, well, I want to do it this way, but the styles, and we were doing jazz improvisation, the style sort of dictates this. And if all I'm ever doing is learning what other people have done, am I truly improvising? Right. And so this conversation comes up all the time and I, I have it with my college students and my high school and they're the ones that are the ones that are getting into jazz or other types of improvisation. That's always the question, but especially jazz, because it seems like there's a lot of stuff that you kind of need to master to speak that language effectively. Yeah. So when we're doing uh, pop improvisation with, we can use a little pentatonic scale stuff and people start to grasp it and they're so familiar with that sound, but yeah, it becomes a balance. And I remember the teacher saying, it's always the, the exceptionally creative ones, the ones who always want to be really creative, not just fit into the box yeah. of playing music that other people have done that struggle with this balance. And I mm-hmm. I find that true. But I also have seen that um, the more techniques we can master, and that's the way I try and sell it to my students. We're learning this technique. We're learning this piece of language. We're learning mm-hmm. this the more techniques you can balance, the more you have freedom to just yeah. go. And we see that we've seen jazz as an example, but it's progressed and people have broken those boundaries right. time and time again by building on them yeah. w- and adding their creativity with the way that they use elements. Right. I use a similar analogy. Like I'll talk with my students about like, you know, you have, you have like your, your art supplies yeah. and like, you know, you can be, you can be like an amazingly creative visual artist and your only medium is a ballpoint pen. And like, you can maybe make some really beautiful things, but like you might really like being able to use more colors or paints or pastels or, you know, whatever wood like metals. Um, and so the more, the more like ways that you have, the more you can fulfill your creativity. Um, Yeah. But I do think they're separate things. Like I kind of see them that way. Like, you know, you build your skills and you learn vocabulary and then you, you build your creativity and like you can be creative about how you build your skills. You can be really skillful about how you build your creativity, but like, they're kind of, they're kind of separate endeavors. They, They are. I tell my students that, um, something that I've worked with my I know some of my college students on and, and that I've done myself is I stress to them that, that let's say Im- improvisation and creativity. Well, there's a moment where I'm practicing techniques of improvisation. And then there's moments where I'm just going for the improvisation yeah. and I have to balance both. So there's times when I just no rules, just sit down and just start improvising. Yeah. Um, and sometimes some of my compositions have grown out of just sitting down and letting myself express whatever I feel in the yeah. moment. Um, I do the same thing when I'm writing. It's, yeah. it's just, it's just, and I've heard other, uh, like Julian Lange, we had him at BYU um, with the guitarist. We had him there to do a clinic uh, a couple years ago. And he pointed out that he blocks out two weeks a year um, or, or he'll block out two weeks at a time where he doesn't let anything 
influence him or get in the way of this two weeks and he and Chris Eldridge will go and they just they just write 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 yeah. write 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 and then from those two weeks they pick their favorite stuff and mm. work on their next album cool and and so I'm sure that other people he's just one that had expressed that and I was like that's kind of cool to block out the two weeks I'm lucky I block out a half a, a day, day or yeah part, part of a thing here or something but um we all have different schedules in this business. Well, and I think that's that's maybe the larger point, which is like you have to be creative within your schedule, within your personality. Like I know, I mean, this isn't maybe exactly the same, but like I know for for my, like I when I write, I need a chunk of time. Like I I can't piece I can't piece at it. It takes me like two hours to like get in the type of mind space where I'm going to write something I like. And so like I, I will plan a day a month in advance and I, and I, and and, you know, even Andrew, my husband will be like, well, I'm going to be home for lunch that day. Of course now he's home all the time because it's quarantine. (laughs) But, uh, you know, he'll be like, well, I can come home for lunch and I'll be like, okay, well you can't come in my studio. Like you aren't allowed to talk to me. Cause really like the smallest thing, like I won't pick up my phone. I won't take a phone call. Um, even if someone's like, oh, I just need to talk to you for 15 minutes. Like I can't do it. So I'll, I'll set out a whole day, but that's my brain, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. It, uh, I'll have sparks of creativity sometimes when I'm practicing or when I'm working on something or I'm in the car and I'm like, okay, right down. Like I, I got a video, I got to sing it or, or say what I was thinking, the chord progression or whatever it is. I got to record it. But it's going to take me a few hours later to work that into yeah. something. And then sometimes re- revise, revise, revise. Yeah. But some people I know can like write a little here, write a little there. And like my brain just does not work like that. So, yeah, I think knowing yourself and then being creative within like. And I also think you can be I've been thinking about this a lot lately. You can be creative about your insecurities, you know, you can think about like your specific insecurities. You can think about the specific like mundane things that prevent you from doing this or that and kind of think like, how can I, how can I hack around that? Like, what can I do? Problem solving is a creative endeavor. Yeah. Uh, any kind of decision making is really a a creative endeavor. Yeah, it can be. I think so. Well, I think yeah. that's why I like what you said about divergent thinking, because it's like what works for someone else might not work for me. And like, that's the beauty of all of it. You know, it's really just cool. And it's good for me to remember. I mean, I sometimes forget because I was raised in a family where my my mind wasn't appreciated. And and so it's a constant. I have to constantly remind myself, like, no, the way that my brain works has like things that are uniquely valuable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's hard to remember. Um, let me ask you this. When you were little, do you, can you say whether like creativity is the thing you care about or like music? Like, was it always music or was it like music just happened to be the thing? You know, I was, I was into a lot of things. Um, I think what drew me into the music world is a couple things. One was one day I was really little and like my parents had eight tracks yeah (laughs) and it was mostly old folk country music and nobody even knew these people's names at school you know it wasn't a cool thing 
But there was a day I was digging through the bottom of the closet and I found this box of cassette tapes mm. and there were two tapes of the Beach Boys. Yeah, I love the Beach Boys. I love the Beach Boys. <laughs> and I was like, a band I've heard of, you know? <laughs> My parents might be cooler than I realized. And so I put on those cassette tapes and of course I'm looking at the young teenage picture hotties yeah <laughs> and so my my very young whatever elementary school girl mind was like oh they're so cute and by now they're they were probably 50s or something yeah. I don't know but they weren't young anymore like that but I put it on and I was like this is really fun music and I look at the pictures and they're playing guitar and bass yeah. and drums and I'm like I want to do I want to do that how fun yeah and I would try and play the guitar. And of course, I didn't sound like that at that time. And then the other thing was that my parents played a little guitar. Um, and they got together with a professional country musician, uh, like a, a sideman, a professional sideman oh, that cool. had played in a lot of bands. My dad had taken a few lessons from him and they had created such a friendship that our families would get together every once in a while and they would jam Cool. And we'd have like a dinner or a picnic or something. And then they would just jam and he could sing and he could play the guitar and he just made it sound incredible. Yeah. And I wanted to be part of that. So I would beg them to play along. Yeah. And that's so they, cool. uh, they would let, I didn't really know how to play. I was like, you know, nine, 10. Yeah. And I, I really couldn't play or sing, but they would humor me for a song or two and then mom would be like, okay, go play with the kids. Yeah. But I never wanted to play with the kids. I yeah. just wanted to be in there you with them. You were just taken with it. It was taken with it. And those two things kind of said to me, ooh, this, that was, that was the first like link that I want to do music. But really growing up as a kid, I did a whole lot of sports. I did a lot of horseback riding. Yeah. I did a lot of ranch stuff. We had cows. And yeah. I did a lot of 4-H, you know, yeah. a lot of gardening and all this stuff that you do in the country with ranch things and the but the guitar was always there and um so when when I had in sixth grade we could start band and I started on the saxophone cool um but I made the band teacher promise me that by eighth grade when we have a jazz band he would let me play guitar I love that (laughs) okay so like you just said so many things your your parents were had creativity around so I mean like I think even just the simple fact of like there is a guitar in the home like that's something you know that that um I mean we had a piano in my house growing up um but I you know in a lot of ways it was more of like a furniture item than like an instrument, you know, I try to remember, like, my mom played the piano a little bit, but I don't remember her, like, really playing. I remember maybe, like, somebody would ask her to accompany, like, for one day of, you know, at church, Um, and so she would kind of brush up, but I don't remember it being something that was, like, play. Like, I remember it feeling more like a computer, like, it's a thing that, like, you do a task on, and then you leave it. Um, and that's why I like to ask people like what the relationship was like, because I think like I, as a child had a relationship with the piano where I was just like kind of mesmerized by it and wanted to like touch it and wanted to maybe pull on the wires inside, you know, and maybe wanted to like, just really think about the high notes and maybe wanted to goof around with the pedal. And so it is a mystery to me, like, where do these things come from? And I think I would have really thrived in an environment where I saw my parents being creative, mm-hmm. but I'm still wondering. So like, 
do you think it was, it was, I know I already asked this, but I'm asking it again. Do you think it was really music or do you think it was like seeing your dad and seeing this other person just like do something like, yeah, I think it, I'm just going to um, check that this is recording, but yeah, keep, keep talking. Please go ahead. I, I think it was that it sounded and looked fun. Yeah. I don't think at that age that, oh, this is creative really crossed my mind. It was just that that activity kind of magic was just, it was just magical. And it was the same thing. The reason I wanted the other thing that drew me in was, um, I think in fourth or fifth grade ish, they let us go up and explore the junior high. And so we got to see some of the things that we would get to do in junior high Sure. and the bands were playing. And so all the elementary schools were taken to the junior high and they had this big assembly. And I remember it was the junior high. It was the eighth grade jazz band. This was a, this was a my first link to jazz. Um, and so, I mean, in my music world, I do a lot of jazz. I do a lot of country and pop and rock and blues and whatever. I've I've found that I just love eclectic. But this was my first thing, like, I got to check out jazz. Yeah. was the eighth grade jazz band, and I noticed that they had a guitarist. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, okay, that's the thing. And it was my librarian at the elementary school was married to the junior high band teacher. Okay. And I went right back and told her the next time we had library class to tell her husband that I was going to play guitar in the eighth grade jazz band. Someday. Wow. <laughs> so, which is funny because I was really quite a shy child. I didn't yeah. really tell. Yeah. I didn't tell adults anything like yeah. that. But I, I, I just, something inside of me was, was set on getting to yeah, do that. Yeah, you needed like accountability or something. Accountability, like, yeah. yeah. And so I held him to it because in eighth grade, by then, he really wanted me on saxophone. Apparently yeah. I had progressed enough on learning that yeah. instrument. Um, that, uh, eh, or, or, but I made him promise. So I got to do both. There was another guitarist who also played sax and we would switch off. Okay. And then in high school, um, there was a little bit of a rivalry between that junior high and high school band teachers. Oh no. So, um, how pointless. How I know <laughs> they just had some different idea, ideologies and, and the high school band teacher had actually been a student of the junior high, but they did uh, way back in the day, but so they didn't communicate on everything. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't room to do both sax and guitar. So I just never let it be known that when I went to high school yeah. that I could play any <laughs> other instrument besides the guitar. That's so funny. But it was just it was just that that sounded fun. Yeah. That activity. And it was the same thing with, with horses. I mean, I grew up around horses and my mom had played collegiate sports. And so when she did something it and I and she taught at the college um the colleges in the towns that we we had lived in Wyoming and I just I wanted to do it it looked fun those college kids were out there playing basketball or volleyball or or whatever it looked fun and I wanted to do it and I think it was the fun that drew me in which is an important point with teaching yeah because if our students aren't having fun there's got to be there's going to be hard work and we're going to hit it but if there isn't an element of fun I'm not sure that they I think about that a lot as well. And I talk about it with parents, you know, like sometimes I'll have parents sign up a younger child who's maybe 10, 9, 10. And the parent will be like, what are they supposed to practice? And, you know, I'm I'm becoming a little bit more bold about it as I get older. But I'm kind of at the point now where I'll just be like, I don't want to talk about that. Like, we need to give it a year. Like, we'll give it a full year of like, you know, I'm going to tell your son or daughter, like, 
I want you to spend time thinking about this, but like approach it with curiosity. Like if there's something that you want to do, like do it. If you have like, I'll, I'll say like maybe, maybe the practice is like, just observe your voice as you're talking throughout the day or you're laughing or, you know, whatever you're doing. And maybe like write in a little journal, like what you've noticed about your voice, which isn't practice per se, but like, I'm, I'm much more interested in like cultivating like a mental environment where like where at some point soon, hopefully practice doesn't feel like homework. Like if practice is feeling like homework, we've done something wrong. It doesn't mean it shouldn't feel really difficult, but it should feel difficult. Like it should feel more like when you're trying to beat the next level of your video game. Right. Yeah. Like it should feel difficult, like, oh, I've almost got it, you know, and not like, oh, you have to practice my guitar, you know, like, right. Because it, it will it, kill it. If we take, comp- if we make it compulsory, then uh, none of us like to be forced to do, do something. Um, I do the same. I'll have parents that, <laughs> I'm sorry, my student's not practicing. And I say, well, that's okay. You know what? We're going to practice practice together yeah we're gonna play together and and I kind of think that like so so for me in my house growing up um we had that piano there my mom taught us a little bit she she had a little bit of piano lessons growing up and we in that ranch lifestyle um weren't in a position to necessarily afford sending us to a teacher in town yeah so she got us started and we had some method books and we learned to read and, and whatnot. But um, there was an expectation that we would practice 15 minutes a day. And it felt so like a chore. <laughs> yeah. Like it was yeah. it was awful. Um, there came a point where I'd learned to play a few songs and I found that like on Sundays, if I just snuck over and played a little piano after we ate, that I was never asked to do the dishes. Uh-huh. And so yeah. I was just playing in those moments. Yeah. But when it was compulsory, when it was like, okay, you have to put in your 15 minutes and that timer was on and we were supposed yeah. to practice, it felt horrible. Like yeah. I hated it. And we and and uh we each hated it. But but my brother, um my younger brothers were the same way, and I found that one of them, uh Cody when he, when he was in college and then he went on a, a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, in New York City, and, and he, there had been years without playing. Like, yeah. we were past the compulsory. Yeah. He's like, hey, I want to pick up that keyboard. And so he got a keyboard and he just started improvising and yeah. figuring things out by ear. Yeah. He came home with the ability to play all sorts of things. Yeah. And he loved piano now. And then he bought a yeah. big keyboard and suddenly he's playing and it was just that he was interested in it and he's figured it out on his own terms. Yeah. And so I find that with my young students and I've had, I don't teach very many young kids anymore because now I'm, I've been so overrun at the collegiate level yeah. and want to make sure I have time for my yeah. own creative projects. Totally. There was you're a time very, where I was you're busy. Yeah. I was teaching, you know, 20 some kids outside of schools. And then I was teaching at two universities and I had so many students that all, my whole life was them and I never had time to do my own projects. And mm. there, there came a day and I was like, this is not fair. I'm helping them have all the fun. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm, and I, so I started whittling down, but I found that if I could help the kids just have fun playing guitar, yeah. I never had to, I didn't lose students hardly ever. Yeah. And so when I would have parents that call me and say, I'm sorry, my kid isn't practicing 
or what's their practice assignment, um, I would say that it's just if they want to play. And, and maybe for them, doing this activity is that they have a blast. They say they have a blast during your lessons. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. Every week they, they have at least 30 minutes of guitar with me and we're having a blast. Yeah. And that's probably the most important thing, um, especially the young kids and the high school kids. They start to get into... There comes a point where where they they're uh, they may be doing more thing yeah. more things than they have time for or whatnot. But they're having this is a this is becomes an important part of their life. And maybe it's just that thirty minutes a week. And yeah. maybe that's I talk about I, that's yeah, I say the same type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like if if the only time they're thinking about it is right here, like that's something. Now, if you think there's suddenly going to be a music major, like that's where we have an issue. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it is something I think about because, you know, like I, I interviewed a, a a pianist a couple of weeks ago and he's a classical pianist and was like a, you know, piano performance major. And if you want to be a piano performance major, you really do have to practice like four hours a day, starting from the time you're like pretty young. But I just think you as a parent of a six year old, you are never going to choose that. You cannot no. choose it. Like your kid is going to be like hungry for it and they never stop playing, but you're not just going to like put your kid in piano lessons and then be like, well, I've heard that they need to practice an hour a day. Like that is not for everybody. No. Yeah. And it's really tricky. I, it's something I struggle with as a teacher. When I'm teaching really little kids, it's easy to be like, it's about fun. Yeah. When they get a little older, I start thinking like, okay, now we have to decide like, do you want to be auditioning for things mm -hmm. in which case like we have, I've got to teach you how to like really work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can't, I, I just think you cannot force it. You just can't do it. Right. It's, uh, it's all about the goal, the outcome goal. And if, and you can't choose the outcome goal for the person. Yeah. And yeah, it does become, because I, I teach and, and I know you have and do, teach a lot of people who want to make a living doing this. Yeah. And if you're going to make a living doing music, it's a whole nother dynamic of what you're going to do to it. I remember when I was, I was in high school and I was thinking, I'm going to go, I'm going to major in music. Like I was just feeling that that was the right path for me. And I asked my band director what he thought. And he said, that's great, Kristen. Um, you're going to, there's going to be a level of work that you're going to have to put in unlike any that you've put in before. Mm. And I thought, Oh, sure. I imagine, you know, I've, but even now I, I don't, I don't think I ever expected just how much work yeah. goes into doing this as a living rather yeah. than like as just a hobby yeah, um, or just for fun or there's a level of work that has to go into it to meet each level too. I'll have a student come to me that says, I want to be able to do that. You know, maybe they want to be able to play, um, a solo like Charlie Parker on guitar. Well, that's, that's a great goal. Let's look at how we're going to get there. Yeah. And to get to that versus playing this pop song by Justin Bieber is going to require a whole lot of work that goes into yeah. it because the, the physical and, and theoretical abilities that you need to have to be able to do that there's a lot more things involved. Yeah. And that seems to be the breaking point. Sometimes students think, because it's easier to think 
it's the same thing with doing an album. It's easier to think, oh, you know what? I'm going to release an album. That's the easy thing to say. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Then comes the reality of the writing of the music and the hiring of the musicians mm-hmm. and the recording. Mm-hmm. And then, oops, this didn't work out. And then solving this. I and know. then, yeah. oh, you think you're done. All the tracks are laid. Oh, yeah. wait, we got all this editing and mixing. And yeah. oh, then finally we sent it off to the master. We, we, we're done, right? No, then you got all the, yeah. all the promotions and all the artwork and all the, and it yeah. goes on and on and on. There's always one more thing. Yeah. And to actually accomplish that is a huge accomplishment. So it's easy for students to say, I want to play. To look at that thing. Right. Across I want to the... play like Wes Montgomery. You know, I want to sing like Diana Krall or Emily Merrill. I want to sing like Emily Merrill. <laughs> she has got, she can sing. Uh, we don't, when we say that, we don't always realize just what it takes to put into it. And totally. sometimes in the middle, and this is where you find the make or break, it seems some students will say, you know, that goal just isn't that important to me anymore. Right. I just don't want to go that way. And then I'll have, uh, and then the reverse, I'll have the students that, okay, they just keep, they just keep digging in. And there's going to be, for me anyway, there's always an element in the middle of some creative project where there's like a burnout. Oh, I just want this done. Yeah. Oh, I'm just tired. And I have to push past that to get that awesome. Yeah. Like I did that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Cre- okay. And then you're just ready for the next creative like, oh, project. Give me another thing. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Gosh, I've been thinking about this just so much in the last like year, maybe, um, maybe just because I've been like really pushing, like, you know, getting ready to release an album that I've been working on for so long. I mean, I released it in May, but in yeah, the last year, right. most of that time was kind of in that hyper creative, like, and being fully aware of how much work had gone into that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think back to when I was in high school and I didn't really think about majoring in music until like my junior year of high school. And even then I was kind of like, I tried to talk myself out of it, I think. Um, because, you know, creativity wasn't that valued in my right. family. And I don't know. I, I really fought against like it for me. It wasn't like I want to do that. It was like, I think I might need to, you know, like, it, I don't know. It's hard for me to even remember what what kind of a mindset I was in back then. Um, but like practicing was never an issue. Like I just wanted to do right. it. And that's, that's maybe that's just me, but like, I think there's nothing that anybody could have said to me that would have made me like not do it. Like I just wanted to do it. Right. And then I remember like, you know, stepping foot into the building at North Texas and, you know, getting an assignment in a class that terrified me, but I never, it just wasn't a thing. It was just like, well, I'll do that now. Yeah, gotta <laughs> like do it. It just wasn't a thing. Yeah. And so anytime I find myself having to try to convince a student to practice, I just think, I already think I've decided that you're not going to do it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which maybe is like, it's true. I don't it's know true if that's right. I, you know, when I, when I was studying as an undergrad and a master's student and doing my doctorate, nobody ever told me how many hours I needed to practice. Nobody ever had to, because I had set this expectation for myself and I, I was going to put as much time into it as I could. And I never had to, I've never had one student come through when I've been teaching at the collegiate level where I'm not setting like, this is kind of a minimum. These are the kind of things you got to do if you want to make it. And I think maybe that, 
maybe that's why I'm making it in this industry because I'm so driven and I'm yeah. just going to find the way. And because, yeah, if I have, I, I mean, I had more time to practice in college than I do now because now you got to, there's the making the living side of yeah. trying to do things. You, you don't have the same freedom over your hours. In a way, there, it in is a way. practice. That, right. I, that's what I think anyway. That's true. There's a lot of elements of, of practice. Um, and, and I'll spend time, you know, composing or in the studio or doing like I'm, there's a lot of doing that I get to do. Yeah. And so maybe in college when I was practicing several hours a day, I wasn't getting to, I wasn't doing as much. So maybe it is comparable in the way that like I'll play the guitar. I, I may play the guitar just as many hours that day, but a lot of it m- might be helping. Like I'm playing while yeah. I'm teaching or I'm playing while I'm playing somebody else's stuff or yeah. whatever it may be. So, yeah. yeah. But no, I, that? I agree with you. And then I, and then I kind of get this pit in my stomach, like, can we teach it? <laughs> like I'm obsessed with it because I want to be able to, but yeah, but I don't know. I mean, cause I'm, I'm the same as you. I have yet to have a student who reminds me of me. Yeah. I haven't, you know, some, sometimes people ask me, who's your best student? And I've thought, I wonder if I'm my best student Yeah. because, yeah. because I get these ideas or I learn about these things in theory and I take myself through it. Yeah. And I'm still here, still pushing. And, um, it kind of comes to the, to an interesting idea of what it means to be a teacher, what it means to be a student, lifelong student, lifelong teacher, but really the student is ultimately the one that decides who they become. And, um, like I've had different teachers and I don't know if they had goals for me or what, but I got... I got out of them what I wanted or what I needed. Yeah. And so I've wondered that with my many students, um, whether they'll go on, uh, for the ones that want to be a professional musician. And I'm actually not sure that I've taught any that. So at the collegiate level where we have jazz and classical curriculums, I've taught a lot of students in jazz. I'm not sure that necessarily jazz being the uh, a professional jazz musician like, yeah, is not necessarily their goal. their goal, but maybe studying with me, they want to grasp a lot of jazz because they want to learn from it and they think it's fun, but ultimately they want to do, they want to do something else, but they they've grabbed from it what they want. Um, so there may be an element of they've gotten from us what they want and what they're going to become. Mm. I, uh, I mean, I've thought a lot about, teaching and sometimes I or I've I've tried to stress processes of learning yeah because I had a student I had a student contacted me this summer and he and he said hey I don't want to be offensive I've loved all the jazz we've done but I'm wondering if maybe we could study um how to be a studio guitarist um or do do some different pop music and this and that and I'm like well you know that's not offensive to me and He's a college student, so he's come to the point in his in the curriculum where he's met all the the requirements. Yeah. So I'm I have a little more freedom because he doesn't have to meet any more requirements to say we can study whatever you want. Um, we don't have to be inside this curriculum. But I also s- said to him, there's an element of easiness in playing some of those styles compared to other things that we've worked on yeah. helping you master, and it's going to be the same process. And I I know that when I do a lot of pop or country or what I'm playing a lot 
intuitively. And because there's only, I've only taken, like I teach classes with that style, but I haven't ever dived into it on the same advanced, yeah. completely uh, researched out how I would teach country to the ultimate level right. like I have on jazz or right. something. So I told him, I'm not sure, um, because I know that you're a great player, that I would be as much helpful help to you as following the same processes I've taken you through. Yeah. Like it's going to be the same. We're going to dive in and want to learn about this artist and that artist and pull from them what we can. And just how, how do I play in the style of Led Zeppelin? How do I play in the style of Jack Johnson? How do I play in the style of so-and-so and And the processes you should be able to learn that for the rest of your life. Totally. Um, Not me here as a student, but then he says, well, in my college years, like you're the one that I've gotten the most out of. So I want to keep studying that yeah. stuff with you. And I'm like, well, I can walk you through it. We can discover these things together. Yeah. But I haven't had the time to yeah. sit down and and explore country artists to the ultimate and explore. Yeah. I just can kind of play in those styles and, yeah. and just do it. I, totally. But that's that goes back to that creativity thing of like, it, it's it's not about the skill as much as it's about like, how does your brain like, capture these things and do you have the ability to like walk yourself through like gaining the skill and it's not to say you don't need teachers but like it might not be the thing you think I feel like I, I feel like I'm talking about that with my students all the time like I'm as much as I'm teaching you how to like use your like breath muscles I'm teaching you how to like I'm teaching you a philosophy. Yeah. I'm teaching you like how to think about what's capable, what what's possible. I'm teaching you to like listen in a different way to yourself and to other singers. Um, I'm I'm teaching you how to like be a musician in your bones. Like, and we you there's not a roundabout way to do it. Like, you know, if we are talking about like what music feels like that's as important as me like putting the metronome on and being like all right now we're gonna like you know whatever um like I'm, I'm teaching you to think like an artist but it's awfully wishy-washy it can be and I uh it feels wishy-washy to me there yeah it, it does there's an element um that I think like I I sort of see coming out of the things that we're talking about kind of in the background but it's it's overcoming that fear and not giving in to the no and who's telling us no, which, um, like the divergent thinking with, during my doctorate, I had a professor who just wouldn't get on board with my project, which was mm. genius, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was the ultimate. And, um, she kept trying to get me to, th- to go other ways. And she had trapped me into a box where I'd lost my divergent thinking is like essentially, make me a clone of what you want me to be. Yeah. But ultimately, um, because I, I just couldn't seem to become her clone, that clone that would go down these paths she wanted me to. Yeah. She finally got creative in a way that she realized how she could help me make my project legit in her eyes through her phase. And then I went on with other people coaching me on it and found that, uh, she just missed the whole boat. Yeah. Um, like everything she said no to other people said yes to go for it. Yeah. And I find that, um, 
there's an element of that in anything that we do. There's, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be problems. And we have this fear factor, fear maybe of failing, fear of not being able to do it, fear of the unknown, fear of what people will think of it, fear of whatever. And also just the no, like, is something pushing at us that's saying no, and we're just going to have to push back and say yes. And part of that is, is, uh, discovering new skills and working at those skills. And so I, at some point, um, what I, I see is that make or break sometimes is the students who I see it in the students and I watch for it myself, but not letting fear get in the way. Um, not letting fear get in the way of what we're doing. And, and that can be hard to develop that confidence to say, I'm going to do this project regardless of the no's that are coming out of me. I believe in this project and I'm just going to do it. Um, I'm my biggest client and, and there's going to be skills that are going to be involved in doing that, that we don't know how to do it. And just because we don't know how to do them right now, doesn't mean we can't develop the ability to do those skills. I've I, ever, after I've done every project, I look back in amazement because I refuse to give up. Yeah. And I think, wow, I learned how to do this or yeah. I learned how to do that. And in this field and in any field and in any creativity, there's going to come points where it's like that. So, so, uh, I mean, you're an incredible singer, Thank you. but, um, <laughs> I have a contra alto voice and nobody really knew what that was in my teeny little town. Yeah. All they knew is that in school, when I tried singing, I couldn't hit the pitches all yeah. the time because yeah. because my range was not where the most of the other girls' ranges were, and the there's a little thicker element to the vocal box. And so, what I learned to do when I was at church or at school or whatever is, if I couldn't hit the pitch, I was finding another pitch that sounded okay. Right. So I was harmonizing. Right. Um, or jumping octaves or whatnot. And then it was very raspy. So when I try singing on my own, I'm like, this sounds horrible. Mm. And I I wanted to sing. And so my mom asked around and anybody that we knew that could teach someone to sing said, I can't teach her to sing. Mm. So, you know, I didn't have somebody awesome like you who knows Ah. that anybody can learn to sing. It's muscle development. It's breath control. It's learning to hear pitches and anybody can learn that skill. Well, when I went to BYU as an undergrad, uh, one of the classes we had to take was sight singing. Yeah. And I walked in there that first day and the teacher asked us each to sing this little blurb. Yeah. Um, what, <laughs> sing this little blurb in front of everybody. Yeah. Well, in my mind was this like idea that I don't say I don't yeah. know how to sing, but I, I was so sure that I was going to do music that I had to do it. So there in front of everybody, I tried singing and it was, it came out raspy and it came out horrible. And, and I was lucky because I had this really great teacher who said, okay. Um, and the class, I felt really blessed because nobody laughed at me. Yeah. Like, while well, I was dying yeah, yeah, yeah. at how I was dying because I knew, I knew how bad I sounded. Yeah. And you had a story about that. And I had a story head. about that. And, um, this teacher, we, she, uh, she took me, she was an ele- elementary ed specialist, but was over the sight scene. She took me up to some of the vocal and he says, Hey, there's nothing wrong with you. And, uh, you just have this unique, uh, yeah. what he called true alto. Yeah. 
and you can learn to use it. And then the, the next class, I one of the grad students gave me some private lessons and yeah. taught me, he's like, we're going to help you sing. Plus you play guitar, you got to learn to sing. And that yeah. was the start of me learning to sing. And no one will hire me like they hire you, but I, I sing with my guitar classes. I sing with my yeah. students. I, I can It's an important pitches. part of what you do. It's an important part. Yeah. And I learned, and, and it took a lot of work and a lot of patience, but eventually yeah. um, I learned that. And there's going to be, I mean, on that same day that I did that, there was a bass player and she was probably way better at, at jazz bass than I ever was at guitar at that time. Um but that teacher kind of laughed. She didn't know how to sing either. And uh, she changed majors that, that yeah. day, which was so sad to me. But she found something else she wanted to do. But but mm-hmm. in this pathway, in deciding to, to master this and to master the, the creative elements of it, there have come many times where there's some huge yeah. mountain right in my road that I can't go around or yeah. under. I have to, or over, I have to go through it. And yeah. that's been, that's been, uh, an important thing. And I, and I watch students, they'll come in scared and it's like, you don't need to be scared. Yeah. It's okay that you can't do this right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help you learn how to do this. As long as you're willing to put in the work to develop yeah. the skill, you can be successful. Yeah. But there's such an element of like exposure. We are exposed totally. and our, our flaws are exposed I, like on that day in front of all my peers yeah. that I had all my classes with because of the way it was set up in yeah. like teams, I had to expose this huge total insecurity. Yeah. yeah. And at BYU, fear. I haven't seen this at the other schools I've been at as much, but at BYU, so many of those guys and girls grow up singing at church and stuff that yeah. it's kind of a given. I was the only one in that room yeah. who, who didn't know how to sing at least to some degree, but I was going to say, when I took sight singing at North Texas, there were a lot of instrumentalists yeah. that couldn't sing. Couldn't sing, A yeah. lot. Who, like, couldn't match pitch. Yeah, it's, uh, when I went to Indiana, uh, I looked at going to North Texas um, for my master's, but... but Indiana's in, such a guitar place, isn't it? it That's my uh, understanding. Yeah, the... Uh, North Texas it, is like the brass place. It came down to <laughs> me that... It's a like, sax between place. Between the, the teacher's... I could get more out of what I needed from Indiana. Yeah. I already kind of had happening what I would have gotten from the guy at North Texas, but the schools are Fred. incredible. Fred. Yes. <laughs> Fred, when I had a friend that went there and he's like, come on, Kristen, you got to come. And I was like, I want to, but, but when he tell me about his lessons with Fred, I was like, I'm already strong in these areas. Yeah. And the teacher, uh, um, actually was Corey Chris Jansen on guitar when I was there and I'd gone and taken some lessons from him. And, um, I was like his style of teaching and his style of playing, he could fill in a lot of the gaps that I hadn't gotten. So I I went there, but it was the same thing. There was a lot of instrumentalists that hadn't grown up singing and they had to learn. I love this whole story. I feel like a lot of the people that I talk to are hesitant to talk about these kinds of moments. We, we all acknowledge that we have them, but it's like, we don't like to talk about them Mm. or maybe it's because we, I think those of us that like have whatever it is or just have learned somehow to cross those mountains, forget how significant it is and forget how much it might mean to someone who doesn't have that kind of natural gutsiness to hear that we had to do that. Yeah. Cause I know I've had experiences like that. Yeah. More, more times than not. 
Um, and it's, it's all these little things. It's stuff that like no one's, I mean, like you said, singing is something you do every day. It's something that's a huge part of what you do, but it's not like on your resume, you know, where like I have the same kind of thing, like the stuff that's been the hardest for me and the stuff that scares me the most and the stuff that ultimately could have stopped me from doing singing or writing or whatever. Like, it's just this stupid, it's not glamorous. It's not like this big, like breakthrough type thing. It's, it's like a, it's a computer software, you know, it's like, it's finale. It's I know. like, actually, I really like finale, <laughs> but, too, um, but, but we know, whatever. But there it's was stuff a time like it was that. scary because yeah. I didn't know how to use it. We yeah. 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 But stuff like that, or like, you know, like when I started this podcast, like this is a big project that I do now. It's a big part of like my life. Um, I spend like five hours a week doing it, you know, and I love it. And this part talking to people, this part is so easy for me, but that part, the recording and the editing just fills me with dread. Um, and it still kind of does, you know, but like, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I think we need to talk about it because I think a lot of people, when they come up against those things, they just stop. And I don't think those people are like, I feel really grateful that like whatever is in my personality is just like, well, I have to solve this. <laughs> like, I don't think I learned how to do that. I think that's just like it's the just type there. of girl I am. Yes. Yeah, it's just like, well, this is what's going to happen. Oh my gosh. I couldn't agree more. And it, and I do think it's important to talk about it. Before I started my doctorate um, degree, which pushed me academically to limits, I had no idea that I could go. I wasn't some brilliant student Um, I just felt average, you know, and to see that average can actually become, can really go places, um, just, just by, by pushing ourselves. But before I went, I read a book by, uh, I think it was Lone Survivor, Lone Survivor. It was a Navy SEAL took us through his final mission where he was the only one that survived. There's a movie about it. Yep. They made a movie out of the book. But what I found so helpful about the book was that before he ever talked about this last mission, he talked about going through SEAL training and um, how he made it. And he he mentioned that his uh, his instructor he had a he had a guy that lived down the street in Texas that had kind of he'd been a, a special forces and he said pay attention to everything. Don't take a suggestion as a suggestion. Do it from any of your instructors. And so on the first day, he had this instructor that came through, and they he 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 told him, "Don't focus, um, don't focus on how how much of this you can take. Just focus on completing the task at hand. Um, because everybody that washes out, everybody who's here is really is already a great soldier. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna push you." to the ultimate limit and everyone who quits it's that he says that in the moment they're not thinking about fulfilling the task at hand they're thinking about how much more of this they can take or the unknown of what can i not take and then and so i yeah i took that and he also he also had some advice about overcoming your fears um and then ultimately uh when they graduated when he finished they had an instructor that said to him, you're, you now, because you didn't quit, 
because you kept through this. And he, and he noted that when his friends quit, he saw that they, they weren't thinking about, let's just finish this task right now. Mm -hmm. They were thinking about how much more of this, Mm -hmm. how much more running can I do? How much more uh, lifting logs or getting in the mud or swimming and all the things that they have to do for that special forces, um, training, they were, they were thinking, I, I just don't know that I can take any more of this. And so when he would go into that mindset, he had to think, no, I'm just going to focus on this task at hand. Yeah. And when I, and then when he graduated, he said, you now have command over yourself in the way so few do that no Mm. matter what task you're hit with, you'll find a way to go through it. And, um, so when I started my doctorate, it was overwhelming all the different things that were required. It felt like five of my master's programs by the time I'd finished. But um, I had to go into that same mindset. Yeah. And I realized when I accomplished it that it was the same thing. Because I made it through that, Yeah. there was nothing I could say that that I would just find a way to make things happen. And I thought that would be the ease of it. But no, doing an album or anything that you want to accomplish – um, that has creativity to it, that's exciting, that's cool, that's worth it. it there's going to be elements of it where you just have to dig in and say, I'm going to do this. And when the overwhelming, I can't do this comes in, it's no, let's focus on the task at hand. Yeah. I mean, when, when I've done my album, like uh, this one that's coming out next month, um, I had to get licensing. That was a That was something that seemed really overwhelming to yeah. me to to try and get licensing. And because it was hymns with obscure songwriters, I, I, and I wanted more than just a a cover license. I need some of these. I didn't know, but when you have a medley, you have to have arranging rights and, and so on. That whole task scared me to death to try and contact people and get their permission for something. Yeah. And it could have shut the whole project down. Yeah. But again, this was just one of those little things in my life Yeah. through this whole music career from day one, from starting school, from even get applying for me, or yeah. even applying to music schools as a high school, mm-hmm. as a shy mm-hmm. high school mm-hmm. student. I there have that. come moments time and time again where something is just too overwhelming that I could say, no, I'm not going to do this. But inside of me is this, I'm not going to quit. Yeah. And I've had enough experiences where I didn't quit. That I've made it over the hump, that it's like now when when something gets hit, I will find a way. And so there was a time when when registering copyright was like an overwhelming task for me. My first album, having to register the copyright, that seems so overwhelming. And sometimes what's funny is after everything that's done... It's that's such a little thing, little but that's the, what I was saying before. It's, it's, it's like the dumb little things that keep us, yeah. keep us from it. But you just, you just have to find a way and, and you don't have to do it alone. I was always afraid to mm-hmm. ask people mm-hmm. questions because it would make me look stupid. Right. Yeah. It's like that pride thing. Oh no. Yeah. It's okay to ask mm-hmm. and to not know everything. Yeah. We, and we learn that do. more and more as we get older. We do. Yeah. I, I, I just couldn't agree more. And I, and I, I wish it was something that like everybody could hear. Cause it really is just like these tiny, tiny, tiny little things, just these like individual moments of just being like, well, what can I do now? Like, what can I do right now? And it's so creative. Like, I mean, I know this and you know this, but like people looking at our careers think that like the creative thing we do is play music, mm-hmm. which like, the way that it feels to me 
that's like the reward. Like that's just like the fun and the creative stuff that I do on a day-to-day basis is all this other stuff. And like learning how to look in front of you and see branches and see like, okay, well, what this person did, I know that's not going to work for me for like X, Y, Z reason. I'm a contralto, like whatever, you know, okay, well, what else is there? Cause there is always something else. I tell it to my students and just, just people that I know all the time, like there is a solution. Like there is going to be something you can do. You might have to really shift your paradigm. You might have to like, like it might be all the way around every corner. It might be a giant pain, but like there is a solution. There is going to be one. And it's just like that curiosity and like stubborn, whatever, like, you know, and, and another thing that I've been thinking about recently, like, I don't know, how old are you? Uh, 38. Yeah, I'm 32. I think, I think 38. <laughs> I, think I think it's 38. So we're in like, we're in the sure. same kind of like, we're in the Rim, same basic yep. thing. I feel maybe like it's the age that I am where it's like, you know, 30, your thirties are like, you've done some stuff. You have a doctorate. I have a master's degree, you know, we've both released a couple of albums. How many albums have you? This, this will be your, this will, so I did, I did some when I was younger that were kind of what I called practice albums. I did, I did yeah. three of those and I never released them other than to have a few hundred copies of CDs made that you I just, gave. You to need people. a business card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had three of those and I've been on others, but this one coming out this next month will be my second under my name, not cool. where I'm on somebody else's yeah. thing, but my second album. Yeah. So we, we've done these things, but we're still so much at the beginning of our careers. There's still so much ahead that we need to do. And sometimes I'll kind of go like, am I an idiot? Like, am I just totally naive? Mm-hmm. Cause like the things, you know, like looking back and looking forward to such different experiences They are. and lately I've, and maybe coronavirus is also like freaking me out because you see how fragile your work is. Yeah, right. I mean, everybody feels like that, but I think like we're really being, we're really being hit, hit with it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I just think like, Oh my gosh, I'm such an optimist. I'm such an embarrassing optimist. Like I will tell myself like, I'm not going to do this again. <laughs> and then like a month later, I'm like, Okay, I'm going to do this again. <laughs> I, know. I cannot help it. Like, I'm always starting new projects. And I feel that way about people, too. Like, I'll, I'll have a new student, and I'm just like, oh, I'm really excited about this student. Like, Or, like, just it doesn't matter what it is. Like, I hear about a new, like, you know, a, a, new, a new type of software or, like, whatever. Like, I get excited about people. I get excited about, like, new ideas. And like, I am such an optimist. And so I think it could be stubborn. It could be like fearless. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just like, I just like, like things. And then I'm like, it'll be fine. You know, (laughs) like it's going to be fine. I think it's just as much that as it is anything. Oh, that's, that's awesome. I don't know. I don't know though. Like, cause sometimes, I mean, I think I've definitely had experiences where people like see me as someone who's kind of negative, but I don't think it's true. I think I'm like, I think I'm like an extreme optimist. <laughs> well, it's like, we all, we're all going to have moments, right? Where we, um, where there's negative things that impact our life yeah, or where we, we want to air out, uh, maybe some of those emotions that are uncomfortable. Right. Like I love playing the blues cause I always feel better after, but yeah. sometimes the blues take it I, out of you. I, I was, I've told students like, I used to get frustrated with my roommates and I'd go in and just 
wail on something and wow, that's really great music. Well, it's cause I'm really just one. That's a good point. Like, and, but it's like, so there's going to be moments where is there something wrong with maybe us sharing what's frustrating with us, frustrating us. And are we necessarily negative? What I find is, is somebody like yourself who's had some challenging things in life, but, who's making, who's doing really cool things with your life and finding these cool things to do. And maybe those that, so I don't see you as a negative person. Thank you. I think you're right. Like, in fact, you just said something that kind of made me have a little bit of a light bulb, which is like, it's, that's problem solving too. Like, like dumping out the negative stuff. That's, I think that's the kind of stuff that lets me personally, like get excited about the next thing. Cause I can just be like, that was garbage. Yeah. Like let's, let's get rid of it. it better, yeah. Yeah, like, like, yeah, I've been working and like problem solving toward this thing and it's not working. Every creative thing I'm trying isn't working. So throw it over the shoulder and like try something new. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to talk about like a couple of other things. Um, so you've kind of mentioned it, but like you, you got your bachelor's degree, you got a master's degree, then you got a doctorate. Um, maybe I just want to ask you, like, what are some of the things or like a thing that you're like the most proud of? Like what, mm-hmm. what are, what are things that you've done that you like from your perspective are the things that you're like, I can't believe I did this. Yeah, I, there's a lot of things that I, I can't believe that I've, that I, um, that I've done, I think when I look back, um, I, uh, I mean, all, all getting, getting a degree is a, is an accomplishment. Yeah. And I, I think, wow. Um, sometimes it's like, <clears throat> it just seems like such a monster thing. Um, something that has, I, I, I mean, it's a slightly divergent thing from what you're asking but when I'm on the front side of something like I just like when I was doing my doctorate which was the most recent degree and I I think I started it when I was right around 30-ish maybe I was 31 it was when we were both teaching at UVU I like remember okay I remember like catching you in the hallway and I was starting yeah yeah, I by the way, I just accepted an adjunct position there again. Oh, so I'll be yay. back there this fall. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> the uh, um, UVU is so lucky to have you. Thanks. The uh, oh, I should say all the students at UVU are so lucky to have I'm you. I'm really excited that, about it. It's great. Thanks. Um, they go team UVU. <laughs> they're 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 lucky. The uh, when I started something from the f- front side like when I'm working on it um it always seems like such a monumental task and when I started my doctorate there was always and I talked to some of my colleagues that that did that same program at Boston which pushes you academically just extreme um it's a research school and very very academic but the um is we'd feel like we're almost done like oh I got my coursework I'm almost done Mm. uh or I'd and then you'd find that as you round that mountain, that it's actually this next huge mountain that you got to climb. Yeah. And then you round that mountain. And then ultimately what shocked me, I think, is when I finally got the congratulations and I got the, I walked across that stage mm-hmm. and they hooded me. It felt a little surreal, but um, I didn't feel in that moment like I had suddenly 
accomplished everything in life. But from the front side of it, it seemed like if I just accomplished this huge mountain, Mm -hmm. then I will have made it in life. Yeah. And so I would say that, that getting those degrees and, um, and, and teaching and every school year or every student that comes across successful, every album, I've written a lot of method books, every method book, but I've always got the next project. And for some reason to me, Mm -hmm. I think when I finish this project, that's right in my face, I'll feel this huge sense of accomplishment. Like I always imagine that while I'm in the middle of it, and especially in those moments where I just want to abandon the whole thing Mm -hmm. and want to be done with this degree Mm -hmm. and why didn't I just become an accountant who could make a bunch of money and would be on vacation in Hawaii right now or something? It's like in those moments, I think I'll feel like I've come, I've climbed the world. I finish it. It's like, Oh yeah, it's nothing. Oh my gosh. I got all these new projects to accomplish. So the same as you. That's so So, funny. That's that optimism thing. I guess like that's the word I would use for it. Cause I think that's what it is where like, you're like, oh, it fooled me again. Like yeah, it got me. Yeah. Every time I feel so the same way. Like, and, and yes, I'm always like excited about that thing. That's like over there. Like when I finish this, I'm going to do that. And then like, that will feel different. And it never does. It never does. It never does. Yeah. Nope. Which I think is this, that's what I meant when I'm like, I'm this year is giving me a lot of like reassessment time. Cause like we have time. Yeah. We do. Hasn't it been odd? It's, it's um, been odd. Yeah. Like you watch your calendar just like empty. Like what <laughs> is know. this? What is this? Yeah. Can I fit this in? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've been having this thing. Like I finally like stopped doing it like just in time for school to start and like for to need to readjust again. But like on Sunday night, I'll get this kind of like little nervous feeling where I'm like, oh, I got to look at my calendar and like I got to see what I'm doing. And I'll say to Andrew, like, okay, like. I'll, I'm almost ready for bed. I just need to like look at the calendar and like see and like, you know, six weeks in a row, just like pulling up my calendar and just being like, oh, there's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really weird feeling. I got kind of depressed like in the middle of July because I was like, I, what am I doing? I have nothing. But then you start a new project. You start a new project. Yeah. But I, I'm like that too. Like I, I, that's the optimism thing that I think like I'm never not. I'm never not at the beginning or in the middle of an excruciating project. Right. Exactly. We're, uh, and it can help t- sometimes to have multiple projects, I find, because when I'm in the, oh, I hate this part, maybe I'm at the beginning or the end of another project yeah. that I'm feeling great about. Yes. But yeah. It is a pathology. It is. It feels like that to me, but also I like it so much. But I think like, you know, hearing myself talk about my new project to Andrew, I hear it come out of my mouth and I'm like, don't laugh at me in like three <laughs> months when I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't, don't laugh at me when I'm, yeah. When I'm in the middle of it and it's good. There was, you know, with my doctorate, <clears throat> I, the, uh, the first course was grueling enough that I thought I have invested enough of my time, enough of my energy, enough of my emotional self into this that I can't quit now. There's no turning back. Because, so it helps that with these, like the recording project or whatever it is, that we get far enough into it Mm -hmm. before that, ah, hits us. Yeah. That it's like, no matter how, ugh, this is, I've invested too much to not finish it. Oh my gosh, what is that? Like, do you think that's something you could teach or do you think that's just like a character trait? Like a personality type. I think, I don't know if we can teach it. I think we can share our experience that may motivate students. 
I think that we can facilitate opportunities for them to experience it themselves. Mm. So one of my favorite classes to teach is jazz composition and arranging, um, because ultimately writing a big band chart is a huge thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's, there, I've done one and it was enough. It's enough. <laughs> it's enough. And there's, there's, um, th- there's a lot to it. And so we'll do these little, little, uh, little composition, smaller, small projects on the yeah. way. Maybe we're going to arrange a, a folk tune in a jazzy way and learn these new techniques. And then we'll do this little arranging and that little composition. And maybe we'll write a tune and then we get this big project. And I facilitate this opportunity because I know it's going to, I know it's going to happen. And I don't think there's a student. It Maybe there's a rare student that it hasn't happened to, but ultimately you have to finish it if you want to pass the class. Mm-hmm. And so, so I've got this exterior motivation that I, I have to finish this and, um, and they're going to have to start it and they've got all these tools, but they're going to have to get through that experience. Yeah. And, and I think as teachers, if we s- facilitate lots of opportunities, I had a student when she was young, um, who, who guitar was kind of her thing. Um, and I opened up the opportunity for her to give her own recital at her house. Well, this terrified her, but she really wanted to do it. And so she, um, there were times with this student, like she got so, she would get so shy, shy that, or so overwhelmed, um, so, so scared of maybe failing to me, I don't know, or yeah. something that she wouldn't even get out of the car and come in for her lessons. Yeah. So her, her mom, I was like, well, maybe this isn't a good activity for her. Mom's like, no you're going to come to our house yeah. and be in her comfort zone and yeah, cool. uh, we'll just pay you f- to do that. But she, uh, I had her at UVU as a student um, again, and she'd made a lot of progress by then um, as far as her confidence and dealing with all of those kinds of things. But And band in high school had been kind of her thing. And some of those years in high school, I was away at grad school, so she wasn't getting to study with me, although I'd send her the occasional video lesson or something or video feedback. Um, but this last year, she invited me to her virtual recital. Awesome. And she graduated from Utah State, and uh, she also had me come and play at her wedding. Amazing. And this girl out there playing all these different styles on guitar, just out there, totally confident. But that first, I remember that first recital she gave in her backyard just to a few friends and family. Before it, I didn't know if she'd get off the couch and go out there and yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, she was holding her dog. And immediately after it was done, she basically raced back in the house. Next and, time. I need to do another one. And never faced him. And I thought she oh, will. I thought oh, you were going to say something no. else. Sorry. Yeah. She, she ran inside. She ran inside. <laughs> I thought she will <laughs> never. I, I could have never met. I thought it it killed her. But it didn't. Yeah. And wow. then she gave recitals and did her senior and graduated and teaching yeah. and doing all these things. And and I think you facilitate the opportunity for the terrifying thing, whatever it is, there's yeah. going to be a terrifying thing. Yeah. Um, and for some, maybe performing is it. And for others, maybe it is. And there's mm-hmm. always an element of we're naked out there as far as mm-hmm. exposing ourselves, exposing our weaknesses to other people when we're on stage. There's always going to be some element. Yeah. And so I, I don't know that we can teach the skill, but we can facilitate the opportunity to develop the skill perhaps and, and be the encouraging, you can do this. We've all been through these hard moments that are doing this and you can do it. And when you're on the other side, you'll know it all the more. Yeah. 
like the Navy SEAL whose advice in that book is what I kept in mind as yeah, I've just one, just one, one bite task, at a time. Just do it. Yeah. I'm just going to go out and do it and I'm going to focus on this and get through it. And yeah. Yeah. I just have one other thing that I want to talk about. And then if there's anything else that you want to talk about, we can. Um, and this is not so much like a, I want to talk to Kristen about this thing. It's just a thing I've been thinking about. And something you said earlier kind of made me think that you might have thoughts about it. So I'm, I feel like I'm like addicted to creativity. There's nothing that I like better. And when I try to think, I mean, maybe since I started this podcast, I've been thinking like a little more self-reflective about what that means to me, because I, I realize as I talk to different people, we have different definitions. Um, and I think if I really think about it, it's a feeling it's like, and I don't, I don't know if it's a feeling like a physical feeling or if it's just like, Oh, I mean, it feels to me like my brain is like having a flow, like my brain just feels like smooth. Um, and maybe I feel a little like excited, like maybe I feel a little something in my chest. Um, and the more that I've paid attention to that feeling, um, the more that I've noticed that I get it a lot <laughs> about stuff that I'm like, am I confusing this feeling for something? Cause like, this is definitely the feeling I get when I'm composing or when I'm performing, but I also get it. Like, for example, I will tell you one, and then I want to know what you think about it. So like, because I think it, especially because we're in quarantine and like a lot of the normal creative stuff I do, I can't do. So like I, the other day I went to, um, the nursery to buy some fertilizer for my plants. And while I was there, I was like, you know, I feel like my bathroom could use like, I could use a plant. So I bought this little pothos plant, which is like one of those ones that's kind of viney. And I got this little like pink and white pot to put it in. You know, it was like a $10 endeavor, maybe 12, maybe six for the pot and six for the plant. And I put it in the windowsill in my bathroom and I get that creative feeling every time I look at that thing. I felt it when I bought it. I felt it when I brought it home and decided where to put it. And, and seriously, like I'll be brushing my teeth and just like looking at, at the light, like coming through the plant. And I feel that thing. I'm just think like, this is not creative. And I don't know. I don't really necessarily have a question other than what does it feel like to you? And what do you think that is? Yeah, that's, there's some depth there. I was thinking about it when you were talking about horses. Yeah. What, why were you thinking about when I was talking about horses? Just because like, there's nothing creative about being near a horse. Mm -hmm. But like, I know that I get that feeling when I'm near a horse also, you know? Um, yeah. Like, it's not creative, but it's like adjacent to it somehow. But like, do you feel like that? Or is that like a weird Emily thing? No, I, I don't think it's a, I'm not sure it's a weird Emily thing. <laughs> I, you know, um, there's certain settings where I get that, that feeling. I, I think that, um, like we're all sort of in, in our, in our nature as human beings is this, is this desire to create. And I think it's, it's, it's godlike. I think it's, um, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not sure if animals necessarily have the same thrilling, creative. I don't know, yeah. but but it just seems to be like if God created this world um, and He used all of these different elements to do it, and we 
why not us as offspring from God have that in us? And for me, for some reason, when I'm around, when I'm in nature, sometimes some of my coolest composing has happened when I've just gone camping and been to myself out. Something about being in nature or just going for a hike or spending time with animals like... I love when I I don't I don't get to do it so much anymore. But when I go for a horse ride, I it gets that yeah feeling yeah going yeah um, yeah. So I I don't think it's just an Emily thing. I I I and I hear a lot of maybe it's because it's where it just sort of clears our mind. Yeah. Like I love you post your pictures about your dog. He's so cute. <laughs> and he is so cute. And <laughs> and just him being him can like spark those creative it does. thinking or yeah. it's the same me playing with my dog or he'll do something cute or inevitably he'll be like you're done working today and we're going for a walk yeah. but <laughs> it's something about those natural nature yeah. things the god's creations yeah. so to speak that just sort of bring it out in us in a way maybe the, the best theory that i have and like again i think because i've had some space like in my like in my calendar <laughs> i'm like kind of thinking about this stuff a little bit more but the best theory that i can think of is like you know when you start a creative project you get that feeling and like looking at that plant is like on the other side of it it's like the reverse feeling it's like it's 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 like a continuation and i just happen to be in the middle of it but like creativity like i think we can think of creativity as always being something that's like going forward out of us like I'm going to make something, but like the root of the creativity I think is before me, you know, like maybe the root of the creativity is like, just like feeling like excited about seeing a plant in my house. And it's not, honestly, it's not just a plant. It's like the pot too. Like I like how the pot looks. I like how the plant looks in the pot. I like how the plant and the pot look in the windowsill. <laughs> That's creative. Yeah. I mean, you just, it's not right. It's not like how do you actively, make a house a home? You it's these little things. It's these little things. Yeah, and it's not actively creative all the time. But I feel that way every time I see it because I think like I mean I guess in a way like I created this juxtaposition of colors and shapes, or at least I put it there. Yeah, you know, you, you organized it is such a way. Well, I, I get that way. You know, when I um, my mother lives with me, I live with whatever. Um, we take care of each other. We'll just yeah. put it that way. Um, mom's mom's a senior, so it's good for me to be around. But it, it's uh, it's different because we have this adult relationship. Um, and I had no sisters. She was kind of like yeah. my sister, and I was, I, I was kind of a strange child. Um, mom says sometimes you just would talk to me like you were an adult. So yeah. But um, when I when we have had family or friends, uh, her friends or my friends or whoever over for dinner. Like the way I set the table to yeah. me, I take a lot of pride in yeah. the way that I set the table and mm-hmm. she has a centerpiece and her centerpieces are very important to her. And, and sometimes like if I'm going to make a salad, just the way that I organize mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. element, like all of that's creative. And we, we all have that in us. And maybe some of us care more about certain elements than other, mm-hmm. like the way my brother makes his pizza is very important to him or the way my other brother grills his steak is very important to yeah. him. And maybe he could care less about how the table's set. Yeah. Um, maybe cause he has a bunch of toddlers, but yeah. still every, everything that we do there, 
there can be an element of creativity in yeah. it. If even in in my students that like, I teach a guitar class um, for those with you know a little bit of experience that want to learn a bunch of other skills. And part of the class requires uh, exploring three artists, whether on YouTube or, or live, um, especially during corona, coronavirus using YouTube or live streaming concerts. Yeah. But uh, what's been interesting to me is that when they report that they've done it, they just need to make a little blurb about something they got out of it, but how different everybody is just in the way they describe their concert mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. Even if even everyone who saw the same concert, mm-hmm. it will be even in the way that they describe it, yeah. it is so different. So there isn't a thing. I mean, the way that we organize our car or the way that we, yeah, totally. I, there's just an element of it. It's just something, it's just in something in us. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it can be, there can be a creativity in how you passively behold something. Yeah. E- even if there's nothing creative in terms of like an action verb going on, you know, like there can be creativity and just like, your your beholding of a thing i think oh sure yeah the way a a child acts it's fun sometimes when i talk to my siblings about one of their children and the way they're doing something they they might each have a different perspective on the thing the child did and i may have a different perspective we're all seeing it in a creatively different way yeah 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 and sometimes i wonder if like kind of the willingness to like experience that sort of wonder in like Mm -hmm. the mundane is part of what that like optimism comes from. Like you're getting, you know, you're filling up your cup like all the time with like stupid things. Like (laughs) I wrap, I like you take satisfaction in like how well your cables coiled. And then (laughs) and I care about how it's coiled. I do too. Yeah. And and then you kind of get this feeling like, look at this perfect circle. It's the exact right size. (laughs) It's exactly how I want it. (laughs) And then like you get a little like, which is like just enough that like later that day when you have to like do some stupid thing, you're just like you have something in the tank. Even though it's like such a dumb thing. I know you're laughing because you totally feel this way. I feel this way. I was just (laughs) thinking of I mean, I haven't had a lot of performances lately, either live uh, ones, but I had something and I know my sister-in-law was helping me and she was doing, uh, oh, no, no, no. Well, there's that. And um, that was a different one. But the one that was most recent is that she had needed help uh, airing a tire or something. So we'd gotten out the extension cord. Yeah. And she started wrapping the extension cord and from like the corner of my eye, she could tell that I was very concerned with the way that she was coiling it. And she's like, do you have a specific way you like to do this? And I'm like, Uh you know, yeah, trying to, it's not that you're doing it a bad way, but yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of um, getting me a feeling in my gut. Yeah. A little bit. Cause, um, it's a little off in size and then you're not going over under. So (laughs) we need to go over under so that it'll unwrap without a knot. Oh, that's why mine always have knots in them. Yeah. That's so funny. No, I totally, I am the same. You hit a a spot there. Something. (laughs) And we're all that way. I mean, I, I, my mother, I was, there was something she caught me the other day with something that annoyed her. Like, I know my brother always needed a, a, there was a certain color of glass that he, he needed to have his water in. And if anyone else touched that glass or, but my mom, um, 
we have we have a dog and we'll wipe off his paws so when we've gone out for a hike so he doesn't yeah. get them on the but I was using a quarter of a sheet and she said, um, Kristen, I don't know if you can get them clean enough with a quarter of a sheet. So she was really worried about me using the quarter. She wanted me to use this longer little piece so that I could. So we all like those, have things. Even in the quarantine, we still yeah. have these things. And, it, and I don't know that those things are always creative, but like I have noticed a bit of a relationship in the feeling. So I think so, because it's like. I notice a lot of things observing my students and trying to help them progress and trying to facilitate better opportunities for them to progress. I think anything that involves problem solving, any kind of problem solving. So we have this problem. My dog's feet get dirty. We're going to solve it. I came up with my solution. Well, I used a creative way to come up with a solution and um, somebody else did. And then ultimately, you know, in some of those moments where it's like, I have a better creative way of wrapping yeah. the cord yeah. and this is why, because I've solved the problem of yeah. in the past, this was too big for this reason, or this was wrapped wrong for this reason. Right. And I think that, that there's a creativity, there's a cool feeling at, at, attached and maybe it's the, I solved that problem and yeah. the creatively solving the problem side that we link to, but kind of feels like there, something. There's something, and we do that all day, every all day. All day, yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about about art or creativity or anything? Y- you know, <laughs> there doesn't have to be, but I like to ask just I, in case. You have had so many fun ideas and co- and things that I, I don't know that. I mean, we could talk about the world, but <laughs> yeah. But there's just nothing that uh, that comes to mind that. Well, if you ever have any deep thoughts and you think I need to talk about these, just be like, Emily, I'm ready for another interview. I'm ready for another we interview. We can talk again. It's always so fun to talk to you, Emily. Thank you for having me. I, yeah, I've i missed, I know when we uh, when we get to bump into each other in teaching circles more often, I, I've missed, I've missed my Emily. Aww. And, um, and I, we haven't, yeah, we haven't gotten to gig or anything like that recently together and. Uh, or do lunch, but you're always so fun. I feel the same way to talk to and hang out with. And, and so, yeah, it's been, uh, I was like, yes, at least now I've got August 21st. That's what today yeah. is, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. That is set as a, a definite none of us can back out. We're actually yeah, going to sit totally. out and hang out a little well, bit. We live so close to each I other. Know. We should hang out more. I mean, I would like to, we could even just like, do we could just like place or, or just like play standards. Yeah. Just jam. Even if it's just chill. Yes. I would like to. That would be okay. I always ask everybody at the end on this very day, what's your dream collaboration? Mm-hmm. If you could pick anybody, they can oh, be dead. Can you can with. put together a whole band. You know, I was, um, I've thought about this a little bit on maybe projects down the road that I want to start, um, like saving up for, Yeah. if I could throw a band together, I've thought of people like, and it, and it's in the jazz world. Um, I think that's where I feel like the most collaborative in a moment. If we're just going to go into the studio and everybody's improvising somewhat, that's a setting where I feel really collaboratively that way and and i've thought of putting matt wilson on drums he's so great he's so great and he's so creative um with um i have to think of just the right bass player who was i thinking 
you know we have another great bass player that just moved here. Do we? Yeah. Um, he's he came to take over Alex Heitlinger's position at UVU. Oh. And he has a doctorate from UNC. Nice. Double bass. Double bass. I'm, no way. I'm excited because oh, we could I gotta meet him. We could use more. His name yeah. is David Baker. David his name is David Baker. Yeah. That's awesome name considering David Baker, who was the the legendary jazz educator. They could be related. They could be. I don't know. They um but what a fun name to continue on. Yeah. Um, with David. Well, I, we also have a Matt Wilson who lives here, who's a drummer too. We do, and I, I'm thinking of the New York Matt <laughs> yeah, Wilson. I figured. The, I'm thinking of the old guys. Um, oh. Matt Wilson is great. He's so energetic. He is so energetic. Well, he, he plays a lot with Victor Wooten, so and that okay, maybe that's so your bass player. Bass player, I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. uh, now that you mentioned, I'm like, who's the bass? I'm like thinking of him. I'm like, I just saw him. Why can't I think of his name? No, Victor Wooten. I was thinking get those two guys and then maybe um if i threw in like a keyboardist it would free me up sometimes when i play in the trio setting i'm locked into having yeah, to like you got to for myself yeah. and with six strings that's hard so uh, so i'm sure there's a pianist out there that would that would just fit if those guys would hang out maybe with we me. throw diana crawl in there yeah, that would be that'd different. Be or Emily Merrill. <laughs> no, I don't play keys. <laughs> oh, that's true. Diana Curl does play some keys. Yeah, no, she's a she's like a keys player. The, yeah, she does. Yeah, um, which which is fun. I think she didn't. She do did she do keyboard at North Texas back in the I day? I don't or? know. I didn't know that she went. I don't know that she went there. No, she's not the one that went. went Nora there. Jones was Nora there. Nora Jones went there. Yeah. Um, I I might throw somebody Russell Malone. No, the played with Benny Green. Yeah. On piano, and I got yeah. to meet Benny Green one time, and I thought he's kind of a cool cat. Um, cool. Maybe you know you have to find the right pianist if you're a guitarist; otherwise, you're just going to be annoyed with each other. Totally, all the time. Totally. But um, yeah, I no brass, no no brass. We'll, we'll quartet. Make it, we'll make it a quartet. Okay. Matt Wilson came here. I am blab- blabbing away. Um, two times. I, I was when I was an undergrad, it was it was at the University of Utah. There was a festival where he was a guest, and and I was playing in the big band, and he was apparently the only one adjudicating us in that morning hour, and he's sitting way in the back of the auditorium, and I'm from the back of the auditorium. I hear, yeah, Kristen, and I'm like, what? <laughs> and then Matt Wilson walks up, and he sits right in the front row, and yells my name, yeah, Kristen, that was awesome, a few more times. And I was like, so here we are playing a band, empty adjudication. He's the only one in the room and he's yelling me out in front of everybody. (laughs) And then when he comes up to talk to the band, half of what he spoke to was me. And then later I went to his clinic, drum clinic, and then he he talked about how he thought I'd be fun to jam with. And then I saw him again when I was in Indiana. He came through and I was playing in a rhythm section trio and we were asked to be one of the groups that he would coach in front of everybody. And um, I didn't know if he'd remember me, but we played the blues and he and we finished this blues thing and uh, maybe a West Montgomery tune I don't remember. But he uh, he says that was about as textbookly perfect as we could expect. <laughs> and then he's like, "Let's get into the essence of the blues. Let's get into the. How about y'all just not playing right?" You yeah. know, but yeah. playing together. So you're all going to take a blues solo at the same time. One, two, three, kind of go for it. Yeah. And we had this 
couple courses that was just like unlike anything yeah. I'd ever experienced where we just created on the spot yeah, and, and just made it up and, and had cool. fun. And he's like, now you're playing the blues and now you're playing together. And so I saw him at a gen and he was packing up his gear and I'm much braver now than I was, you know, back in the day. But I was like, hey, Matt Wilson, you know, I love hearing you play. Do you remember back when he's like, I remember you. Yeah. And um, that's but really an important thing. It is an important thing. And from those times, from listening to his music, um, from hearing how he kind of approaches creativity on the drums and helping others try and be more creative and expand their their uh, creative palette as far as sounds to draw from and yeah. so on. I was like, it would if he thinks I'd be fun to play with. He would be you really should, fun to collaborate. You should with. do it. I should. Yeah. So and then and then Victor Wooten, the way he and it and maybe I would stick it to the trio because I think part of the reason that I thought jamming with Victor Wooten would be so fun is because. He can be so melodic on the bass. I was just going to say, he's an extremely melodic bass player. Extremely melodic. And so it's He like, plays bass like a guitar. Like a guitar. Yeah. And we could go through... Actually, I saw him last year at Jen with another bass player doing duets, and then they brought on some other guys. But the... Uh, it's like... Yeah, I could... I When I, when I did my trio record, um, I hired local guys at the t- the duo team of Jay Lawrence and Matt Larson and I noted that they have played so much together that they know how to carry on a conversation together and um and you yeah and I could learn from it and I and I appreciated Matt Larson and how how he could fill in that yeah. gap and be more I love playing with Matt too. Yeah, I've only gotten to great. do a couple of gigs with him but it's it's the kind of thing where like I know you I know you know this feeling like you suddenly have much better ideas because yep, <laughs> you're right. playing with people who are listening with... and supportive. Right. Like, like yeah. it's easy to have a conversation yeah. with you because you've got these great conversation ideas. Yeah. It, when you're playing music with, with him and suddenly he, he just made a comment yeah. musically that supports something you did and yeah. you can springboard you off feel of it. safe and you feel excited yes. and yeah. that you'll be heard. Like, like he actually, I mean, the, these guys are, uh, well, some of them, I mean, they're a lot older than us and yeah. have been playing a lot longer than us. And, and I felt like I could go into this setting with, Ooh, Matt Larson yeah. in this area, the yeah. biggest bass player and definitely could, could make it in New York or LA or whatever yeah. if he wanted to. But it's like, are they just going to blow me off? Yeah. And, and I've played with him and I've comped the changes a certain way and he'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. And he goes yeah, you just you can tell he's listening. He's listening yeah. and he's he's saying and he's not discarding anything that the young kid is throwing out. It's yeah. like, well, let's consider that. And, yeah. And sometimes he'll be like, hey, check this out. But yeah. Yeah. That's it's, cool. It's really cool to play with players like that. Well, I want to see you collaborate with Victor Wooten and Matt Wilson. That, <laughs> that sounds cool. That'd be fun. Down and the road. I ask everybody at the very end to tell people where to find you. Where to find your stuff? Sure. The uh, well, I have a website, kristenbromley.com. Um, another creative endeavor is trying to keep up on mm-hmm. on the website, mm-hmm. as as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've grown to really like that one. That is, yeah. yeah. So I I uh, 
I need to update, but you can always find my current contact information and, um, generally new projects. I have a new project that we now have the release date for sure on. So I need to get that on there, but that's an Next. easy way to find me and find a, when is when's your new album out? Uh, September twenty fourth. Okay, and it's called Amazing Grace, and Amazing it's hymns. Grace. It's hymns. Yeah, I it's uh, it. I had all this time, yeah. and I create. I actually built a recording studio in my basement. Cool. Uh, so just in time for coronavirus. So that's um, great. Yeah. So it is, and some of them are very, you could say, classical, just the relaxing yeah. arrangement, and some of them are really. Like my amazing grace, the reason I took that as the title track is it's a very bluesy arrangement. Cool. One of, on one of those practice things years ago, um, I was trying to record this nice, beautiful nylon string, amazing grace, and I just my hands were tired because I've been in the studio for a couple of days for a lot of hours, but it just wasn't happening, and yeah. I just was like, ah. And I sat there and I thought, how do you really picture this song? And I thought, mm. I picture this song being played by some street musician who's been through the walks of life, you know? Yeah. All, got all the rough edges and the smoothing out from all those experiences. Yeah. And, I've, and I've experienced some stuff in my life that's been, that's been excruciatingly hard on the heart and just yeah. to move forward from. And I thought, I picture this as a blues. And yeah. so I just started improvising. Yeah improvising with that melody and improvising all these blues ideas and it came out as this sounds very much like a street musician yeah. sitting on the street just just playing it and so that's the title track and there you are again with your divergent thinking my divergent thinking having so. kind of the bravery to go for it it's to, to it's go cool. for it. and in I that practice it. album i thought everyone's gonna hate that right well that was the song i got the most yeah. comments on and i thought it's just pure and authentic and okay that's so that's what matters yeah so this album it'd be a mix of that but we could maybe use some calming just music that yeah we'll see but uh i'm yeah. sure it'll be beautiful i i love hymns hymns are yeah they're you know i i uh i've found that there's really some depth there that it wasn't something that i ever saw myself doing when I was younger because yeah. it wasn't something I was into yeah. um, or it was just the boring music you sang at church yeah. kind of thing, you know, but, um, I, I did be still my soul was the first hymn arrangement I ever did. And it was just that melody was stuck in my head and yeah. I just sat down and played it one day and I was like, wow. And every hymn for me has been an experience like that when I arrange yeah. it. So that's cool. I hope, uh, I, there's a, been a lot of growth and I just have felt peace and love sometimes when I play these songs and I hope that the people that hear this project, um, will do, it'll be I'm a source sure, for them in that same. I'm sure they will feel way. that because you've been authentic making it. Yep. And that's like the whole point. Kristen, Yay. thank you so much. It's so good you to talk to you. So fun. I've loved it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from my album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel and ad segment music by Jerem Hansen. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.